Welcome back to the Eat Scripture Podcast. This is Eric and Gina Robinson. We're continuing in 1 Kings, Mm -hmm. and we kind of last time set the, took us right up to the building of the temple. That's right. And so today we're going to actually get into that some Mm -hmm. in chapter six. And I have been informed that we need to move it along. (laughs) So um, I'll try to keep my... We're, our goal is to get through chapter six today, um, and we don't want to bog down in too much minutiae for people, and yet we want you to know that everything in here is real, valid, meaningful. actually meaningful stuff that you can get yes. wonderful uh, insights from God about what His work and His people and what He's done. Um, typologically, as we're reading this construction of the temple, we are reading about, typologically, the construction of God's people into a building Um, and this is where I think cues are taken from um, by Paul by Peter uh, by the Hebrew writer when they're talking about the way that God's people are built into a temple I think that they are using material from here I mean this is where they get their ideas this is where they get their thoughts they come back to this now and go oh look this is what God that we can see through this into what he intended all along. Um, this was just a picture of what his people should be. So yes. let's keep that this in mind. This is so as beautiful and uh, it's kind of exciting to see it this way because mm-hmm. I think, I think, I don't know, in my growing up, this part when we were talking about building the temple yeah. and Solomon's temple, it was all an exercise in how can we make a little model. Right, yes, that's what it Whatever, instead of it being what you're saying, much more than that. Yes. And what does that mean to me? Yes. Not just the... How am I incorporated into this? How does God... Yes, absolutely. I think that's true. And and what you're saying is generally true still today. And it's cool to see those. Yeah, it's not that that's a bad thing. And we have... You have a... Um, a Bible, which I also have one of those too, an ESV study Bible, where there are some great depictions of what probably the temple looked very closely like, um, those depictions that are on the pages, and, and there's lots, you know, you can find a ton of them on the internet, and they all vary a little bit here and there, there's little differences that they've made here right. and there, because how it isn't, were structured, how it was isn't really possible to get it exact, and yeah. isn't it interesting that we don't have the temple where we can see it and see the exactness of it and know exactly how it was built because maybe we're not supposed to because maybe we're not supposed to what if that's the whole point what if that's the whole point what if the temple itself needed to disappear because we are because we are the temple as it says in the new testament because we're not supposed to get fixated on a building we're supposed to just realize that we are the very temple of God. So when we're reading this, we're not getting uh, we're not getting a blueprint. We got to remember that going through chapter six, seven, we're going to try and remember all the time as we're reading this. Oh, this is not for us to build an exact duplicate. These these aren't blueprints and can't be used as blueprints. That's why the drawings come out differently and look different. Because there is a, it's very hard to figure out exactly what he's saying and how these buildings go together and what that means, how these rooms go together. You know, I mean, you can figure out some of it, but in other parts, leave you mystified. And that's because God doesn't want us using this as a blueprint, but he's written it in such a way so that it conveys the spiritual, ecclesiological, in other words, church related and 
typological meaning that it needs to convey for us to to take away. So that's there is a lot to take away. Yes, tremendous takeaways for us as a church and as a people of God. Tremendous takeaways in here, and that's what we're going to read. Read it with that in mind. Oh, it's kind of a long chapter. We're going to go ahead and get started reading. We're going to start in uh, just this first paragraph in the ESV, which would be verses one through six. Okay. In the 480th year after the people of Israel came out of the land of Egypt, in the fourth year of Solomon's reign over Israel, in the month Ziv, which is the second month, he began to build the house of the Lord. The house that King Solomon built for the Lord was 60 cubits long, 20 cubits wide, and 30 cubits high. The vestibule in front of the nave of the house was 20 cubits long, equal to the width of the house and ten cubits deep in front of the house. And he made for the house windows with recessed frames. He also built a structure against the wall of the house, running around the walls of the house, both the nave and the inner sanctuary. And he made side chambers all around. The lowest story was five cubits broad, the middle was six cubits broad, and the third was seven cubits broad. For around the outside of the house, he made offsets on the wall in order that the supporting beams should not be inserted into the walls of the house. Okay, so we're just going to try to make a couple of comments on each of these uh, little paragraph portions that we're reading here. Um, We're going to notice here, one of the things that we'll say is like right when you started reading, you did mention that 480 years there and we will say something about that which is to say that um we don't know if that's literal or figurative some people want to take it figuratively Mm -hmm. other people take it literally i'm more of a literalist on this um and so a literal literal interpretation is going to push us back to at least uh in the 1400s for the exodus um 1400s bc which i think is valid uh which i still think is a valid way to look at it um, even though most people do not go with that, that is not the popular view these days. It was for a long time, but now we're more in the 1200s where Ramesses II was on the throne. And so that's um, been the more popular uh, argument for a long time. And so that means the 480 must be a figurative way of talking because you can't get 480 years between the reign of Solomon and this if you. Uh, if, if you, you go, go back with, further, yeah, you have to go back further than 1200. Uh, and so, so that would make this more of a 12 being Israel, 12 related to Israel, 40 related to a number of generations. So, we're talking about figurative way of speaking of the number of generate the great number of generations that have gone by since the time that the people came yeah. out of Egypt, the exact number of Israel and the generations so just a way of you know putting them both in there i think that may be a even though there may be some wonderful things to say in that regard symbolically it it's could be still both. yes could be easily uh, a literal reference which is why i just think this is so exact yeah it just seems so that, exact it's like 480th year the fourth year of king solomon's reign in the month of ziv which is the second yeah. It feels like it's telling us a real time. It does. It absolutely does. And I, and, and so I, I feel like that too. I think that makes sense. Which also has spiritual. It has spiritual implications, implications. which is another reason the writer includes it. Because, 
you know, God inspires her to include it because it has spiritual implications. Um, 12 times 40 is a spiritual thing. It is a perfect amount of time to have gone by for this great spiritual thing to take place. Um, And it's not so different from the amount of time they were in Egypt. That's right. It's not. So, Mm -hmm. um, yes, it's just another long period of time has gone by. Yeah. The same way about the same. And, um, I I find it interesting that they're marking time Mm -hmm. from that day, Mm -hmm. from that Exodus. And I, I love that. Uh, I think, yeah, and the, which would be natural. That's when they became a nation. Right. So they started marking their time there, um, and they continued to do so. I think um, this is now we're finally getting this temple built. The greatest mm-hmm. thing of of Solomon's accomplishments. And we, uh, immediately he starts out giving us measurements, which are when you start thinking about it, it, it seems like okay. These well, it does sound like a blueprint. It sounds kind of like one at first, but then when you we're keep so going, many you're kind of confused. Like, but if you were to mean? try and write plans by it, you could do because all through your chapter six, all the way through chapter seven, you're going to be you're going to start getting confused. What does he mean there? What does he mean by that? Where are those ten cubits? Where are those thirty cubits? Wait a second, I'm trying to figure this out. How does he mean it? And so, um, so you would you would lose yourself trying to make a perfect map or a perfect diagram, which is again what we're not supposed to do this this is not made these are not blueprints for building this is just for us to get spiritual well, insight like, from you know you follow the plans for building the ark mm-hmm. yeah. and it is hard to understand mm-hmm. really yeah so yeah that's what this reminds me of a little bit yeah it does absolutely um and so the vestibule in verse three in our version right begins the verse the vestibule that'll be called porch in some versions and and probably other things in others uh and then was in front of the nave the nave um that would be the so the vestibule this porch area would be the outer court reference would be kind of an outer court reference it's the outer area from Mm -hmm. the temple it's bigger than just the porch itself but that the porch is part of that outer area so the outer courts and then the nave is going to be the holy place what we know of as the holy place from the tabernacle will be the nave and then in verse five he's going to use the words inner sanctuary well when he uses those words he's talking about the holy of holies so it's a three-part structure the temple is just like the tabernacle was that's the point so we're talking he's giving us um an understand a little bit of an understanding here um of how solomon's going to build this self-standing permanent structure that is in line with the temporary structure that has always been before so that's what we're seeing um and i think we can go on probably now to verse seven which would be our next little paragraph okay when the house was built it was with stone prepared at the quarry so that neither hammer nor axe nor any tool of iron was heard in the house while it was being built okay so perfectly cut stones that's right they've been cut at the quarry they're not heard once you get to the to the place where the temple is actually being put together you don't hear these hard rough tools being used anymore whatever shaping is going on here is a very it's a very quiet process this really um, speaks to me has always spoken to me um, typologically about the idea that you know God God puts us into place and when we're part of his, when we are actually 
becoming part of his temple. Um, there could be rough work done out in the quarry, but once you are becoming part of his temple, he shapes you without the kind of, you know, you may feel like there's some hard <laughs> knocks going like on sometimes, hammering, but, uh, yeah. but he is lovingly shaping you. He is shaping you like a caring craftsman, one who does fine, detailed work. Uh, and it isn't that kind of taking a sledgehammer and beating you into place. That's not what it is anymore. And so when I agree, verse seven, I always kind of like bring that. that with me. That's cool. Uh, let's read verses eight through ten. The entrance for the lowest story was on the south side of the house, and one went up the stairs by the uh, to the middle story, and from the middle story to the third. So he built the house and finished it. And he made the ceiling of the house of beams and planks of cedar. He built the structure against the whole house. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I'm sorry, that sounds weird. He built the structure against the whole house, five cubits high, and it was joined to the house with timbers of cedar. Okay. Well, it's hard to know exactly yeah. what we're talking about here. Again, this is exactly where it starts how these to things get really confusing. Yeah, these different stories and what exactly is happening. Um, not the easiest thing to figure out how it's being put together, but again, really not for us to, I don't think, consider how exactly it's being put together. What it looks like is not the big point. Um, but the fact that he's building the house and finishing it, first of all, in verse 9, he used the finished word here. He's going to use it again in verse 14. This word takes us back, Solomon's finishing the house. This word takes us back to Exodus chapter 40, verse 33, and as well as Genesis 2, verse 1. In Exodus 40, 33, Moses is finishing the tabernacle. Right. God's going to come dwell in it immediately. Wow, it's perfect. God likes it. He's happy. He lives there. We're going to see that's what happens right. as we continue. Which is a picture of Genesis 2. Then back to Genesis 2, takes us back to Genesis 2. Where God has created a dwelling place for himself, for himself among people yes which is creation it's so perfect that he can it. now dwell he finishes it he and finishes it. it in uh, Genesis 2 verse 1 so yes so since and then it gets marred of course and then since then God has been setting up first the tabernacle and now the temple finishing it so that he can live in it and dwell among men right. as well and then of so, course we have John on the recording for us that on the cross, Jesus says it is finished. Yes, he has finished the work, which is the true, making a true place for people to dwell among God, uh, dwell with God, or God to dwell with people um, in his temple, of course, his real temple. Which I think um, that Jesus completes just that. Just stop work. and think about the that for just a minute. Yes. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Just stop and think. That is amazing. So these are just words that point us both backward and forward um, throughout scripture. I think it's so interesting that it seems to be three levels. Mm -hmm. um, however, that, it, you know, it's hard to picture. Mm -hmm. And of course, we're immediately going to start trying to picture it. And that's okay. But I think it's interesting because the arc is three levels. You mean, oh, the Noah's arc. Yes. Um, so I think in some way the tabernacle and the temple yeah. are the the ark was a type 
of this. Yes. Somehow. Yes. I think you're right. It was because it becomes the way God saves people through judgment right. to the other side to right. new creation. And so it was where God was temple dwelling. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And so the temple does become that. It's another picture mm -hmm. of a three-level, three-story, three-level building right. that is made so that people can go inside it and find refuge and even restoration mm -hmm. uh, once they've come out of the sinful world and now they're in God's presence and being right. taken to a new creation. So it's, yeah, this... Like it's, it's uh, there's amazing. so much more amazing but, um, anyway. uh, okay so we have also heard a lot about cedar and timber already yes. i'll just uh let that sit there for what it is but we're already starting to hear about we're going to hear a whole lot more about different kinds of wood and how it's being used in this process so okay. let's go to verses 11 through 13. now the word of the lord came to solomon concerning this house that you are building if you will walk in my statutes and obey my rules and keep all my commandments and walk in them, then I will establish my word with you, which I spoke to David your father, and I will dwell among the children of Israel and will not forsake my people Israel. Mm. So again, that promise. Yes, the promise that God is mm. making to Solomon, and this does make it contingent, if you will, yes. then I will. The if-then. Um, it's the if-then. And so... He's certainly saying here to Solomon, and the you here is singular. So whereas sometimes it can be hard to figure out when you're translating from Hebrew and Greek, where's the, where's the you? Because our you is both can be both singular and plural. Right. But here and it is more singular. often than it, uh, more often it is the plural. So when lot, it is singular, it seems like it's often, very yeah. often. I don't know if I'd say more, but definitely yes, a lot well, okay, of times. Know. I'll be a little bit careful here. I <laughs> my bed a little bit. I don't know which one for, but I guarantee you. I just feel like every time I look saying, it up, it's plural. So often plural. So often plural. Here it is. This you that needs to obey is Solomon himself, right. because as goes the king, so goes the king. Right. He is the representative. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So he needs to stay true to God. Stay true to God. Uh, verse 14 through, uh, we'll go all the way through verse 22 this time. Okay. So Solomon built the house and finished it. Again, he finished it. Mm -hmm. He lined the walls of the house on the inside with boards of cedar. From the floor of the house to the walls of the ceiling, he covered them on the inside with wood. And he covered the floor of the house with boards of cypress. He built 20 cubits of the rear of the yeah of the rear of the house with boards of cedar from the floor to the walls and he built this within as an inner sanctuary as the most holy place the house that is the nave in front of the inner sanctuary was 40 cubits long the cedar within the house was carved in the form of gourds and open flowers all was cedar no stone was seen the inner sanctuary was prepared in the innermost part of the house to set there the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. The inner sanctuary was 20 cubits long, 20 cubits wide, and 20 cubits high, and he overlaid it with pure gold. He also overlaid an altar of cedar, and Solomon overlaid the inside of the house with pure gold, and he drew chains of gold across in front of the inner sanctuary, and overlaid it with gold, and he overlaid the whole house with gold, until all the house was finished. 
Also, the whole altar that belonged to the inner sanctuary to be overlaid with gold. Wow, wow, okay. wow, wow. This is really something. So, there's a lot yeah. here. <laughs> yeah. Gotta talk fast. Main thing I think I want to point out is all the wood that's being used. Again, we've got cedar, now we've got cypress added to that and we're talking about how all of this is put together with, and it's being carved so much of it's being carved with these gourds and open flowers on it the scene is one of walking into almost like a forested area i mean you just got trees everywhere all sorts of different trees and fruit bearing all over the place with right. these flowers and these gourds and everything just oh and then all over that wood so the wood is covering everything and it's like yeah, you, you said can't no see stone was seen even though stone was which i love because house. we don't always see the foundation that's right Absolutely. that's not apparent to the that's naked right. eye but yeah and the, and what should be seen though is the beauty that god has created right. not the individuals if we're the stones which i believe we are that make up the temple uh, that's what we're told obviously by paul by peter by the hebrew writer if we're the stones that make up the temple then it's not us though that are being focused on it's the fact that we've been made into a house that represents a dwelling place where god can be met and that's eden that's the place you get to come right. into and meet with him and talk to him. And, Where there and are beautiful so, trees and Yes, the trees, the and wood and the fruit. And the, yes, that's what's being depicted here. And so beautiful. And then over that, all yeah, over all that, that wood worked. is then gold overlaid on everything. So imagine the shine from all of the beauty that is overlaying yes. um, all this wood so you've got the stone but then that's covered with with the wood and then the wood is carved perfectly and covered with this layer of perfect gold and so it's just gleaming 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 in every possible way what a beautiful picture this is so imagine god you know that gold represents the fact i think that we are covered in god's presence right. i mean the gold is the holiness of god and his holiness is us. over us and yeah so crazy beautiful stuff here um, and i don't we know we could go into into it more but we're going to leave it at that for right now yeah, uh, there's more but yeah okay beautiful <laughs> uh verses 23 through 28 in the inner sanctuary he made two cherubims of olive wood each 10 cubits high five cubits was the length of one wing of the cherub and five cubits the length of the other wing of the cherub cherub it was 10 cubits from top from the tip of one wing to the tip of the other the other cherub was also measured 10 cubits both cherub had the same cherubim i'm sorry had the same measure and the same form the height of one cherub was 10 cubits so that the that of the other i can't read and so was that of the other cherub he put the cherubim in the innermost part of the house and the wings of the cherubim were spread out so that a wing of one touched the one wall and a wing of the other cherub touched the other wall. Their other wings touched each other in the middle of the house. And he overlaid the cherubim with gold. Okay, so, so. this is all describing the cherubim that have been made to go into the inner sanctuary. So they're as you're big, because this room is yep. 20 cubits perfect cube cube mm-hmm. and, and they're 10 these... cubits high yes cubit is about one and a half feet so they're 15 feet tall each one of them these cherubs and their wings are spread out 
10 cubits wide from one tip of one wing to the tip of the other wing. So from one wall to the other. They're standing beside each other one beside with another, their wings touching wings in the middle. spread open, touching in the middle. And then the other wing touching the wall for both of them. And so you, you pass by them by walking under the wings that are touching. You would pass by them. And uh, and so yes, they're giant, giant. And you're moving into, you're walking into the inner sanctuary. You're, you're walking into the holy of holies as you're passing them under them. So they're so guarding. The idea they're guarding. Yes, God's presence, which would be very much <laughs> like Genesis chapter three. After the fall, God assigns an angel there to guard uh, his presence, to guard the entrance to the. The, the, garden, Eden, yeah. the Garden of Eden. And so, sure enough, here we have cherubim guarding the entrance into God's presence. Not that you can't get by, but it's only for those who are chosen to come by. What a spectacular um, picture. Yeah, that, yeah. Yeah, truly spectacular. <clears throat> okay. So then, verse 29 and 30. Around all the walls of the house, he carved engraved figures of cherubim and palm trees and open flowers in the inner and outer rooms. The floor of the house he overlaid with gold in the inner and outer rooms. Okay, this just to say again, we have now another type of tree mentioned, and this time it's just engraved type of tree, but it's a palm tree. We keep having these different trees mentioned, you know, cedar, cypress, olive. Now we have palm trees, uh, everything being and talked palm about. Palm trees are... On. Uh, represent righteousness. Righteousness. Because they go Symbol straight righteousness. Up. That's right. Exactly. Um, and so, overlaid uh, again, uh, let's see. With gold. With everything. Gold, yeah. Inner and outer rooms. Everything. Yeah. Floor. Everything. Yes. Okay, okay. Let's keep going. So, also, he made for the entrance to the nave doorpost of olive wood in the form of a square and two doors of cypress wood. The oh, two, yeah, you you actually passed over thirty one and thirty two. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Let me go back. Okay. For the entrance to the inner sanctuary, he made doors of olive wood. The lintel and the doorpost were five sided. He covered the two doors of olive wood with carvings of cherubim, palm trees, and open flowers. He overlaid them with gold and spread gold on the cherubim and on the palm trees. Okay, again, more palm trees, cherubim, open <clears throat> flowers. Gourds. These, these are, wood. you know, we're, we're, yes, the olive woods mentioned now, we're still very much in that beautiful garden picture. Yes. Uh, so let's just keep going from there. That's what we're painting. So also he made for the entrance to the nave doorpost of olive wood in the form of a square and two doors of cypress wood. The two leaves of one, the one door were folding and the two leaves of the other door were folding. On them, he carved cherubim and palm trees and open flowers, and he overlaid them with gold evenly applied on the carved wood. He built the inner court with three courses of cut stone and one course of cedar beams. Okay. Wow. So, again, more of this wood, wood, wood everywhere, and then cypress wood, and then um, <coughs> everything covered in gold. Um, I want to know what doors these, to the get in. two leaves of one door were folding and the two leaves of the other door were folding. This I mean, it, interesting. you know, it just sounds like, like we would call folding doors almost if you had a big, tall folding door and it was broken into two parts. So okay, that it, I so gotcha. that it just folded back on itself as it opened. That would probably be 
probably be we can't but we can't know again we can't know for sure exactly how to read this or what i mean we can't build this these aren't good enough <laughs> this isn't a good enough description to get an exact it's not what it's for. representation right. and that's not what it's for um but again more mentions of of the trees and the flowers and the overlaying with gold and just going on and on to give us a depiction that is just a garden that is God's presence where it's holy and perfect and gold and they, you know, represents his holiness and now everything's overlaid with that and uh, this is how you get into and what it looks like when you get into God's house. Amazing, amazing, amazing. Okay, so last verses, uh, verses 37 and 38. In the fourth year, the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid in the month of Ziv, and in the eleventh year, in the month of Bull, which is the eighth month, the house was finished in all its parts according to all its specifications. He was seven years in building it. Well, seven. Exactly seven. So the perfect, perfect number complete. of years. Yeah, exactly. Um, and this is where it uses that word finished again for us. Finished, finished, finished. It's big on that because it wants us to hear that word and hear the echo back. And that's what's been made here. That's what Solomon has done. Solomon is the new Moses, if you will, in this way. We've talked about him being new Joshua. talked about him being new Joseph. talked about him being now kind of a new Moses in his finishing the work that God has done. Right in a place that God dwells. And so God is able to do that among his people because of what's being done through Solomon. And the beauty of this place cannot be overstated. Truly cannot be overstated. This place is going to attract the world. This place mm-hmm. is going to be amazing. And people are going to come from all around because they hear of Solomon and hear of this place and want to see it, can't imagine it. Um, and so, so what a beautiful th- picture it's painting for us and we should see it that way and be amazed by it. Um, and God has done it because of his greatness and, and because he wants to meet with his people and he wants them to know just how much he loves them and, and what it means to be, I in think pre- how great it is to be in his presence. How he sees us. Mm-hmm. Yes, amazing. that's what we should look through this and see that. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Great point. We should look through and, this. And, and you have said, and we'll go back and talk about this in, in the next episode, but. Mm-hmm. Um, there's even language in here that we don't see when we're reading the English, but there's ribs being mentioned and head yes, and shoulders. So it's very, um, it's got face, language for people. face, shoulders, head, and ribs, as you just said, are parts of the temple. It uses anatomical, human anatomical parts to talk to describe the temple like it's a body like it's a body and and so surprise surprise we'll go back and point that out as we go forward because it's strange but yes but it is beautiful beautiful but that's what it ah the description it goes on and on and what we're going to see later is that the ark of the covenant is brought into the temple this temple and that's where god dwells oh and he's He's living, kind of like he's living presence is there, so he's his heart. He's actually, we're going to put a heart in this body. This living body is going to have a heart in it, it's going to be God's presence. Well, how does that not speak to who we are? How does that not speak to, especially who Jesus is? Jesus says God's body that we all find ourselves caught up in 
his body, his death and resurrection, which is not dead but living, which has God's presence in it, and that's the reason we live. Oh my goodness, this is just the the, the layer upon layer that <laughs> it's <are here>. too <laughs> much. It is far too much. Um, take that all in and look for even more because we have gone through. Yeah, this very we went through quick, and we will talk about more. There will be other things that as come we go. up. Yes. Uh, beautiful, beautiful stuff. But we'll get into chapter seven some next time and look forward to talking to you then. Uh, it's been great to talk to you all. So glad you joined us again this week. Hope you have a great few days and we'll talk to you really soon. God bless.